Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. It is Ohio State game week here in Happy Valley. I think we did a pretty good job of setting the stage on our last episode of this podcast. In case you missed that, on Monday we dropped an ed- uh, edition of this podcast with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen. Looking back, reviewing, working our way through what stood out from that 63 to nothing victory over UMass. And just generally a 6-0 start for Penn State, situated at number 7 in the Associated Press Top 25 what are our takeaways from this first half of the season? What do we anticipate maybe carries over into Columbus and beyond as the Big Ten schedule really opens up with six games in the six weeks? Of course, we also broke down the Buckeyes on that episode, too. Uh, Patrick Murphy from the Bucknuts, our 24-7 Sports Ohio State site, hopped on for a thorough conversation about what has worked for Ohio State thus far and their path to 6-0 and what are some concerns that they're bringing into this matchup and there are a few of them so if you missed that on Monday I encourage everyone to check that out we are well underway with our game week coverage here at lines247.com just got back from Beaver Stadium where we covered James Franklin's weekly press conference it was a particularly long one it felt like about 50 minutes a lot of topics covered there a lot of respect paid to Ohio State as you would anticipate Uh, we also just spoke with Olu Fashion who's one of the a few players that we've heard from on a Tuesday morning and into the afternoon now. So Daniel Gallon will be on with the podcast in just a little while to help me review some of the early things we're hearing from Penn State football facilities on a crucial game week. But 
Of course, along the way, recruiting never sleeps in a Key commitment, one that we've been waiting to see if Penn State would pick up for some time. It did come through on Monday evening. Jalen Harvey, the edge rusher out of Maryland, down to a final three of Penn State, Maryland. Southern Cal picks the Nittany Lions, joins this recruiting class, which is about two months away from reaching that early signing period. To discuss that, what's next for the 24 class, and a lot more on the recruiting trail, we bring in our resident expert on all things recruiting, Tyler Calvaruso, back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Welcome back. Man, I'm back, and after months of twists and turns, it's finally done for Jalen Harvey to Penn State. I mean, it was a whirlwind of a recruitment, man. It was one that Penn State really, really wanted to get done. Pretty much going all the way back to summer of 2022 when Harvey made it to campus, he participated in a big match. He, he picked up his offer from the Nittany Lions of that April. And there was, you know, a bunch of contact from that point on. But when he gets to campus and he goes through the big man challenge and just dominates on that day, I don't think he lost a single rep, I remember him telling me in my interview with him following that performance. It really caught the eye of John Scott Jr. while he was still in town, and it caught the eye of Deion Barnes as well. From that point on, he becomes a priority target. Things start to heat up. You know, he makes it to campus a lot in fall of 2022. He was there for a bunch of Penn State games. It it looked like there were points in the fall where it could get done. It didn't. It carried over into the spring and summer. It looked like coming out of the Penn State official visit in June was going to get done for the Nittany Lions. Didn't happen. Carries into the fall. But here we are in the middle of October, and it's finally a Penn State commitment for Jalen Harvey. I would say it's a heck of a job by Deion Barnes to get this one done. You know, Again, this is another recruitment where, yes, there was familiarity between he and the prospect, but he had to step into some bigger shoes as an on-field position coach, and he had to take on a bigger, more active role in the recruitment. He was able to make Harvey feel comfortable with him, his plan for his development, and just beyond Barnes as well, it was an overall staff effort. Everyone did a really great job of making Jalen Harvey feel at home in Happy Valley. James Franklin played a part in that regard. Manny Diaz did a lot to kind of get Harvey comfortable with scheme fit and things of that nature. So it was a group effort. Great job by Barnes. Great job by Diaz. Great job by Franklin. And look, I mean, Harvey was one of Penn State's top edge rusher targets for such a long time for a reason. The kid could play. He could do a bunch of different things on the defensive line. So it's safe to say Penn State is really excited that this one is done in their favor. Now, he is a four-star in the composite. He's a high three-star currently in the 24-7 sports evaluation with an 89 rating. Uh, again, Southern Cal made a push here. Maryland trying to keep him home. I, I doubt the Terps will, will stop chirping at him over the next couple of months leading up to the signing day. Uh, but with Harvey, something else to note here, he's out of Quince Orchard High School, and that's obviously where we once saw Chop Robinson make a major splash as a big-time prospect. And, of course, now he's found his way to Penn State, spent a year down in College Park with Maryland, but now he is one of the premier edge rushers in college football and and a projected first-round pick or a top-level kind of NFL pick. How much of a role does that, uh, you know, I guess connecting the dots play in the recruitment? I would have to say I played some sort of role because I remember catching up with Jalen last fall when Chop was still getting going at Penn State. He told me he was keeping a a very close eye on what Chop was doing at Penn State, how he was able to succeed coming off the edge in Diaz's scheme. So I definitely think it played a part. I think the overall familiarity at Quince Orchard from that recruitment definitely played a part. You know, Penn State has some solid relationships with the staff down there. So I think that helped the Nittany Lions and worked in their favor in the end. And also, kind of a newer element to Harvey's recruitment as this summer and fall rolled around was Xavier Gilliam, the Penn State commit, transferring to Quince Orchard. And, you know, that was another Penn State 
pitch in Harvey's ear really consistently from the moment Gilliam arrived at that high school. So that was another element that I would say did indeed work in Penn State's favor because those two traveled to the whiteout together. That was Harvey's final visit before he wrapped up his recruitment and things went really well while Harvey was on campus. And just, it's really a combination of everything, you know, Chop Robinson, the relationships with the staff, Gilliam working Harvey as hard as he could. Just, it was a bunch that played into this decision. And obviously Penn State's defense operating at the level that it has so far this season kind of speaks for itself. Harvey has said he wants to play for high-level defense, and I think at Penn State he's going to have the opportunity to do that. I mean, the results this so far this season kind of speak for themselves. They're a top-five unit in the nation right now, and Harvey's going to have a chance to be part of that group and you know make a, an impact coming off the edge. I mean, that kid's first step coming off the ball, man, it, it's really impressive. You, you could see why Penn State wanted him so badly, and I think he's really just still tapping into his potential. So there's a ceiling here uh, that I think still has to be reached, and Penn State's pretty excited to get him in town, coach him up. Um, Brian Doan ha had a really interesting piece up today, and he had a couple up uh, regarding Jalen Harvey down the stretch here, um, just about the, the twists and turns of mm -hmm. this recruitment that ultimately does end up here in Happy Valley. I guess we can't say it's ended just yet until you get a signing day, but but he told you know 24-7 Sports that uh, the reason for that pause and making the decision was because when he was going to make it, that would be it. And I guess that that is the hope now on Penn State's end. Uh, they've certainly done their diligence and homework on, on this side of the recruitment process. But it felt like the Nittany Lions had the inside track. You had Florida pop up for a bit. Maryland's always going to be there as the, uh, selling the neighborhood you know, pitch to, to stay home. And then USC, though, was the team that really entered the mix here. It, it, it was kind of a showdown, cross-country showdown between these two programs, uh, both of which, even though USC picks up their loss, have hopes to get to the college football playoff there this year. So with Harvey picking Penn State, uh, there was some conversation outside linebacker, defensive end. Where is his initial fit, you think, looking ahead to enrollment in 2024? I'd say it's coming off the edge. You know, like I mentioned with the first step, he just has a lot of edge rusher traits that I think Penn State wants to develop. But as his high school coach laid out in his interview with Brian, he can play on the interior as well. You got to keep in mind, Harvey is still growing as well. You know, he's in that 6'2", 6'3", 250 range right now. So you have to figure when he gets to Penn State, he's going to put on some more good weight. He's going to get stronger. And I think that will kind of – that will ultimately determine where he winds up playing. I still think it's going to be edge for him for sure. I think that has been the priority for the Penn State staff, getting him in town as a potential high-end edge rusher. And again, you know, Deion Barnes gets to work with him. You know, he's still developing as a pass rusher when it comes to, you know, actual pass rush moves and what it takes to beat Big Ten level tackles. So Harvey still has a ways to go in his development as well, but that is something that, again, Penn State thinks he has the traits that it can work with and it can develop him and maybe even get him to the level of a guy like Chop Robinson. You know, that's not out of the realm of possibility when you look at Harvey's physical stature. I mean, man, you saw it during the commitment ceremony, how well-built his father is, and Jalen is very well-built himself as well. He's a pretty impressive kid physically. So I think you get him in that strength and conditioning program with Chuck Wells. His body's going to keep getting better and better, which already says a lot of already where it's at. And then you get him to work with Barnes on the pass rush moves and just, you know, kind of refining some more of his technique. I think you're looking at a pretty solid edge rusher at the next level when it's all said and done. You look at this defensive uh, recruiting class, you've got the defensive backs that they picked up from, from Florida, Liam Andrews up in New England. Uh, you've got T.A. Cunningham, who's at school in Georgia. He's played football all over the country. Uh, very interesting to see how, how they put this thing together. I mean, uh, you got Babu Torre from, from New Jersey. Uh, you've got uh, you got guys down in Virginia. 
And, and so I think what we're left with is 25 commitments overall. The defensive class has come together very well. Um, is there more room in the in on that side of the football? And if so, where are we looking? I think there is, you know, again, it comes back to that 27 to 29 range that we've kind of been hovering around during the summer. We're at 25 now with Harvey on board. So, you know, Penn State is inching a little bit closer to that range, but there are still spots defensively and offensively as well. Defensively, when I kind of dove into post Harvey, what it means for Penn State's 2024 recruiting class, I kept my eye on the trenches because there are still some defensive line targets in play, specifically on the interior. You got Ernest Willer, the top 100 prospect down in Maryland, who was at Penn State for the whiteout. And he has continued to say that Penn State is one of the schools he is high on at this point in his recruitment. And he's still working through scheduling official visits. And it has been said that, you know, Penn State is very strong in the running to receive one of those visits. I know the Nittany Lions would like to get him back to town in December for the early signing period. So that's something you got to keep an eye on. Florida commit Morris Williams is another name to keep an eye on. You know, he hasn't exactly shut the door on Penn State. He did pick up an offer from Ohio State recently, which seems to be catching his eye. But, you know, that's another prospect. Deion Barnes really, really liked him. And Penn State got involved a little bit later with Williams compared to some of his other suitors with an offer. An offer came in, I believe it was mid-May, I want to say. It was either early or mid-May. And then in less than a month's time, he's at Penn State for an official visit during the first weekend of June. And coming out of that visit, he had some very, very glowing things to say about Barnes, the state of the program, how he could see himself fitting in. So I think that's one to keep an eye on as well because there is still contact ongoing. You know, in the secondary Penn State, Missed out on Siona Lalea, but the stats keep an eye on some late risers there. Linebacker Elijah Newby is a name we've discussed playing the top 24-7 USC commit. Contact there has not ceased. Will he make it back to campus? That'll obviously be the determining factor in Penn State's chances of generating a flip there. He seems pretty solid with the Trojans right now, so that's just one we're going to have to kind of wait and see what he decides he wants to do when it comes to potentially taking another visit to Penn State. Offensively, I got to stick with the trenches again to start because you got Andrew Dennis finally backing off his – commitment to Michigan State and talking to Dennis, you know, just really getting to know him since that Penn State, getting to know him more since that Penn State offer rolled in in September. You know, he really does love that Michigan State program as an in-state guy. So backing off that commitment, it was a tough call for him, man. It was. It wasn't something that he uh, he took lightly. You know, it was something that he really considered heavily. And he's at the point where now he's exploring his options. Penn State is one of those options. And it was an offer that he really wanted. You know, he visited in March for one of Penn State's spring practice sessions. Didn't leave with an offer that day. Michigan State swoops in, I believe it was a couple weeks later, and, you know, that was kind of all she wrote. At that point, Dennis's recruitment, the tide has obviously turned with everything that has happened in East Lansing. And Penn State is a school high on the list for Dennis. Yeah, I would anticipate him that he'll be on campus sooner rather than later. You know, the date there has not been etched in the stone yet, but it's something that is in the works from what I've been hearing. And you got another tackle to talk about and Kevin Haywood, you know, familiar name. We haven't really talked about him a whole lot lately, but he was a hot topic of conversation dating back to the winter and the spring. His last visit came for the blue white game in April. You know, after that, he never made it back for an official visit in June before he committed to Wisconsin. There's still some contact there. You know, that is a prospect Penn state is working on and they're definitely, uh, they're definitely open to getting him on campus at some point before the early signing period. Again, will it happen? That's really up to Haywood. I haven't received any sort of indication or hard indication that it will, but that is an avenue that Penn State is still exploring. And then again, at wide receiver, you know, Marcus Hagans is still trying to see if he could generate a big flip in his first year as Penn State's wide receivers coach. 
Cam Coleman, the Texas A&M commit. I mean, he's a hell of a player, and he's a guy Penn State would love to get on campus for an official visit in December. It seems like that's in the works. Will it come together? You know, he's an SEC commit. He's from the South playing down at uh, Central High in Alabama, and that's a high school Penn State has recruited plenty in the past. So there's uh, good relationships there between the Penn State staff and the staff at Central High. So that's something to monitor. Nick Marsh is a name I touched on in our most recent update. I do think he's trending more elsewhere right now. That's the buzz I've been receiving. But Penn State's not dead there by any means. And, again, you know, they're trying to see at wide receiver if they can make some noise with guys committed elsewhere. So there aren't many spots left, but there are still spots left at the same time, if that makes sense. You know, it's not – it's going to be quality – over quantity at this point in the cycle. Penn State has built up a really, really – another really, really strong recruiting class. You got 25 guys on board, 25 guys the staff is really high on. Now it's all about trying to make a splash. And I think this staff does have the ability to do that. I think they have some relationships in place to generate a flip like they did last cycle with KV on Keys. And if they keep winning, you know, you go on the road, you beat Ohio State, and you continue to open eyes, I think that's only going to enhance their chances with some of these guys. And, of course, in their box – Back pocket, they've got the home matchup against Michigan yep. uh, in just a matter of, you know, of a month right now. Um, and, and Brian Doan had, had you know, told us if, if Penn State can handle its business and get to that matchup, that shapes up to be one of the bigger recruiting events in James Franklin's tenure here at Penn State. And uh, just uh, looking at national perspective and how Penn State fits in with these 25 commitments, 17 of which are considered four-star prospects uh, by 24-7 sports assessment. Number 12 class nationally, number three or number two class, I'm sorry, in the Big Ten, they trail Ohio State. Ohio State has the number two class uh, across the country, trailing only Georgia and Penn State ahead of Michigan. Michigan has the number 14 class. So those are the top three on the field right now in the Big Ten. Those are the top three uh, in the recruiting trail right now in the Big Ten. Not necessarily a surprise. Um, let's look back at last Saturday. Not a ton of recruiting buzz when you talk about UMass coming to town and the weather not being awesome, but there were still some recruiting nuggets to glean, and you did that. We appreciated the coverage coming out of Saturday. Let's go through a few names one of which a familiar one, an in-state prospect out of Harrisburg High School, a sophomore receiver, safety. We're not quite sure what he grows into, but impressed us in the seven-on-seven tournament here in Happy Valley. Elias Koch was back in town. Yeah, he made it back after his plans to visit for the Delaware game in September kind of got wiped out by some also crappy weather that forced his high school game from Friday to Saturday. So he wasn't able to make that visit, but he was able to make this one. And really his goal – for this visit was just kind of get back in town, continue building the relationships with the staff. You know, he's been hearing from Penn state here and there, and he's, uh, he's, he's liking the Penn state staff so far They they made it pretty clear to him while he was on campus and got the chance to catch up with uh, James Franklin and Marcus Higgins, that he will be recruited heavily moving forward. And I think that as the relationship continues to develop, Coke will be back more and more. You know, I think that uh, this probably is not his last game visit, this season, potentially, I think he could be be back again if his schedule lines up. Rutgers is another program he's hearing from a lot right now. So he's still in his early stages. He's got, I believe, does he have 20 offers now? He, he still might be sitting at 19, but his offer list, it's an impressive one for a 2026 wideout. And, you know, he's got he's got a bunch of quality options to sort through. But Penn State is one of the ones standing out for him right now. And I, I think you'll see a lot of him on campus moving forward. And, again, you know, where does he wind up positionally? at the next level. I, I think that's something that will be a big sticking point in his recruitment because he is a bigger wide receiver. You know, he's still growing into his frame. Frankly, he did not run the best at Penn state during the off season. So, you know, I, I think he's definitely, the film is there 
right? He's had a really another really strong season after a good freshman season. He's put together some strong. And he's, a, he's a competitor. I mean, he everything is. he did you know, when the competition started and, and finished, you know, Harrisburg won a championship. He was a catalyst for that. But at Penn State, they put a lot of stock, and you understand why, into a lot of the physical measurements and testing. And, and you know, it went, when a guy's a certain size, you want him at a certain speed. And so there, there's there's pieces of the puzzle here uh, with a really impressive and productive underclassman in the state of Pennsylvania, who, by the way, has a teammate that we love as well, and Kevin Brown, the offensive yes. tackle in that sophomore class in the 2026 cycle. But, uh, you know, continues to, to if he if he's not able to get to campus he'll tell you i'm trying to get back to yeah. campus with yeah, Elias coke so that's been a recurring theme with him he definitely wants to be in town and get more comfortable with the staff and when it comes to his competitiveness and who he is as a player i think we saw all we needed to see during that seven on seven tournament him laying out making every play that he possibly could for his harrisburg team so we talk about 2025 and these 2026 classes in pennsylvania being good classes guys like coke are the reason why yeah, uh, let's let's talk about a, a New York native here, Damari Clemens, a, a guy who impressed uh, on the camp circuit, has a bunch of offers in, in the 2026 class as well. Cornerback recruit. Interesting setup right now for him at the high school level. Uh, talk us through where he's at with his development and also what he came away with uh, from this Penn State visit. Yeah, so he's back at Bennett High up in Buffalo. He was originally slated to play for Grayson High down in Georgia as a sophomore. That didn't come together. I believe he actually did suit up for a game or two at Grayson before heading back to New York. He's got a Penn State offer. He's got a couple other Power 5 offers as well. And before this past weekend, his most recent trip to town was to camp for the staff. That went pretty well. And, I mean, Mark Clemens, when it comes to the offers that he holds right now, Penn State is pretty clearly at the top of his list. He loves the program. He loves the pedigree of you know their development of guys really on both sides of the ball, he was telling me, even though he's a cornerback prospect, you know, he looks at what Penn State is able to do for its guys, getting into the next level and really, you know, just helping them beyond football as well. That's something that stands out to him. You know, he feels as if, if football wasn't a thing, Penn State staff would genuinely care about him. That's the kind of vibe that he's gotten from his relationship with the staff. So it's still really early. And, you know, obviously the 2026 board is still coming together, but as long as Clemens continues to develop as he has, you know, I think he's definitely going to be a name to know in the class and the feedback he's given us, it's pretty clear where Penn state stands on his list. And it's at the top. Now we're from one guy out of that Buffalo, New York region to another, who's really coming on the scene here. Oregon has offered and now Penn state has offered Canisius high school, freshman, Elijah Kimball. He was in town and you may be thinking, Whoa, 2027. What? He's a freshman. That, that's, that's where he's at right now. It's a long way to go in the process. Penn state just picked up a commitment from a sophomore running back in Messiah Minkins not too long ago, but tell us about the latest addition to the target board for Jaywan Sider at the running back position. And I'll tell you one thing about Elijah Kimball, you throw his tape on, he does not look like a freshman. He's definitely not built like one. That is a guy who is advanced for his, his age group. And he runs that way too. He runs hard. He's fast. He's got a lot of uh, early on in his high school career. He, he just seems ahead of the curve development wise. And, you know, we talk about names to know in the region pretty often here, and he's going to be one Penn state, Oregon, getting in early, probably good calls by those two staffs. And I think that based on my conversation that I had with Kimball, I think he's going to be a guy who returns to campus. You know, I think he'll make it back 
when he can. And I think he's going to be definitely a target for Penn State moving forward. I mentioned the early season film, but just his makeup. You know, he's very intrigued with what Penn State runs offensively. He likes the involvement of its running backs in the system that Mike Garrett just runs. Likes J1 Sider early on. Again, I talk about development. You look at Penn State's running back room and what it has going for it right now. That's something that has caught Kimball's eye. So it's obviously we talk about Clemens being early. It's, it's, it's even earlier for Elijah Kimball, and he's still got a lot of football left to play, and there's still a lot of time left in his recruitment. But he's got two really high-end offers to kickstart things for him. He's midway through. He's seven games into his high school career. He's already rushed for 1,200 yards, and I believe he told me a dozen touchdowns. He's catching passes out of the backfield as well, so there's some versatility to him. It's a prospect I really, really like early on. I'm looking forward to seeing where his development takes him. And I think he's got a pretty high ceiling. Like I said, he's already physically advanced. I think he runs really smart and he runs really hard. Those are things you can't teach at that young of an age. So he's got that going for him. A scholarship offer from Penn State football program, probably worth a, a, a drive down to central Pennsylvania from Buffalo on, on a rainy afternoon. Oh, yeah. He's He's got a picture posted as well of, of him posing in a Penn State uniform in front of that gate in Beaver Stadium. So it looks like he maximized his moment. Um, one other name to get to here before we turn our attention to this Penn State game week more with Daniel Gallen, uh, Gregory Maddox, uh, a familiar school, Dundalk High School down in Maryland. They just plucked Chimdi Ono out of that program. He was kind of one of those late cycle risers that everyone wanted to get involved with in the 2023 class. Penn State signed him. We've seen him in a couple games most recently on Saturday playing some right tackle. I'm sorry, left tackle. Um, and now you know, looking back right at that same program, uh, Gregory Maddox uh, is the next you know name up there. 2026 prospect, a couple Big Ten offers to his name, and he was also around. Mm. And it's funny, you know, he's still so early in his high school career, and he's already got the offers that rolled in late for Jim Diono right. and his recruitment. Maddox is uh, – he's already standing there around 6'4", 260, built pretty well. So I think he's definitely a power five offensive lineman. I think he could definitely play in the Big Ten. I think I really like his early season film so far. So I think he's a guy that Penn State will definitely keep a really close eye on moving forward. And I got to say, the relationship that Dungolf that came from that Chindi Ono recruitment, they're really, really strong. It seems like the staff down there has a lot of respect for the Penn State program, more specifically Phil Charlton, just the way he recruited Chindi and the way that, you know, that whole process worked because it's different when it's a late riser, right? You know, Penn State had eyes on him for a while. They continued to work that. They waited for more film. So the Dundalk staff is appreciative of the way Penn State handled that entire prospect. And that carries over to a recruitment like Maddox. You know, he's still got a long way to go in his recruitment, but the Dundalk staff knows that Penn State handles things the right way and it treats its guys, you know, the right way. And that's something that I think will weigh on Maddox. He told Brian Dunn that he was pretty excited about the way this past visit played out. And we talk again, it's a common theme, but he's going to be a guy who's back on campus. There's no doubt about that. It could happen again this season, you know, if the stars align, but it's definitely going to be moving forward. Junior days, spring practice visits. He's high on Penn State early. Yeah, Maddox, just a sophomore, but Maryland, Michigan State, Penn State, Virginia Tech have extended those Power 5 offers. And we had Dundalk High School head coach Tom Abel on this podcast earlier in the year to, to help us get to know a little bit more about Chimsey Ono. And one of those things that he talked about that really stood out with Penn State is everyone was challenged to pack two years of a recruitment into two months because that's just the way this recruitment went. He decommitted from Old Dominion, I think, in December. Then he had two months before that February signing period. Everyone was trying to get him on campus. And Penn State, he just says, did it the right way. I, I forget the details of that. I'm sure we could go back and listen to it. But you're right. When you're left with that taste in your mouth uh, for a recruitment that was very much out of the ordinary, we're looking at more of an ordinary recruitment playing out in Dundalk High School with a sophomore lineman really feeling out his options, having a couple of years to assess. But that impression that Penn 
comments they've made and thus far what they've been able to do with Jim Diono, where the, the it's been very positive with his time on campus. Can't hurry you here with Maddox, who's, who's again the next man up down there. Tyler Cavaruso does a great job covering recruiting uh, at lines247.com. He'll have us set up uh, again for the next home game, which we're still about 10 days away from, uh, but along the way, a lot to keep tabs on. One of the things that we wanted to touch on before we get to Daniel Gallon, I almost completely spaced it in our rundown, were those rankings, the new top 24-7 uh, prospect rankings from lines 24 or from 24-7 sports. Uh, major risers in the Penn State class. Let's hit on two of them before we get over to Daniel. Ethan Grunkemeyer, now a top 100 overall prospect remember before the elite 11 finals he was a three-star prospect outside of the top 24 7 and now you've got number one overall tight end in the country luke reynolds uh, and a five-star at that finish us off on a high note here as these guys continue to climb yeah hell of a rise for both of those guys really and this all started going back to the spring on the camp circuit and both of those i mean they've just done everything right when it goes back to the camp circuit they both starred on the camp circuit and multiple fronts. I mean, both made it out to the elite 11 and they just showed the entire nation really what they're about as prospects. And now you carry that over to what Ethan Grunkemar has been able to accomplish so far as a senior. I know Luke Reynolds is still getting going up at Cheshire Academy in Connecticut since they get going a little bit later with the start of their season. But remember, he's got an elite athletic profile. That is something we have loved about him for a really long time. That combination of size, strength, speed, overall athleticism that Luke Reynolds has it's easy to understand why there was comfort with making him not only a five-star recruit, but the top ranked tight end in the 2024 class. You know, it, it's difficult. Tremendous competitor too. Treme up here, oh, man, tremendous man. competitor. We, we've seen it firsthand a couple of times and the people who covered elite 11, they'll tell you like this dude, they could not prevent him from keeping running routes. Like he just wanted to run routes and run routes and run routes the whole time. Yeah. He's got the makeup of an elite prospect as well. It's not just the physical traits, it's the mental side as well. I think you maybe kind of credit some of that to his days as a quarterback. I, he's really advanced mentally when it comes to just processing everything. And he's got that dog and him competitor wise. So Penn State is not going to have to worry about that when he makes it to town. I mean, those two, I think they are where they should be in the rank because I think Gronkelmeyer has done more than enough to earn the distinction of being a top 100 quarterback or a top 100 recruit and one of the top quarterbacks in the 2024 class. And Look, it's difficult to be a five-star tight end. You know, it's kind of rarefied territory, and Reynolds has reached yep. it. So as his as his senior season continues to play out, I mean, I feel like he's going to keep getting better and better. So it feels like the sky's the limit for him at this point. Yeah, how rarefied is that territory? Well, he would be uh, the top-rated recruit that Penn State has brought in at the tight end position under James Franklin, uh, and that's a group that includes Mike Kosicki and, and Theo Johnson and Pat Fryermuth, and it's a hell of a bunch. Brenton Strange, who caught his first career touchdown in the NFL on Sunday, uh, and they keep adding to it. Just quickly looking at Ethan Grunkemeyer's uh, numbers on the season thus far. Uh, I got him in front of me here. He's completing 69% of his passes with 27 touchdowns and five interceptions on the year. Obviously a big leap, the kind of leap that we expected from junior to senior year, one that Brad Mendler forecasted for us a little bit when he was comparing uh, Ethan to his other pupil and, and Drew Allard. And by the way, Brad Mendler got some love from uh, James Franklin during today's press conference, which we're going to discuss now with Daniel Gallon. Appreciate it, Tyler Calvaruso, for breaking down the recruiting, the addition of Jalen Harvey, and a little bit of a glimpse down the road with some of these newer names. No, thanks for having me back on as always, man. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, let's get into it with Daniel Gallen, who joined me in the Beaver Stadium press room just a bit ago to hear from James Franklin on this Tuesday. And Daniel, it's Ohio State, Penn State week. Look, we've got six game weeks in the rearview mirror, but I don't know about you walking into the Beaver Stadium today, just getting a sense for what media people were feeling and talking about, how James Franklin brought some energy, and really what we've heard from the players early on. It just feels different here in mid-October with Columbus looming. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, especially having Northwestern by UMass, uh, it got a little sleepy in there for three weeks uh, <laughs> now to, you know, to be really in the thick of it now. Um, you know, we're, we're really in it. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I do think that the, the mood has, has shifted a little bit, you know, to, you know, everyone knows a little bit what's at stake. James Franklin knows we all know it. Um, and I thought that came across a little bit today. I mean, we got Drew Aller before we got James Franklin. James Franklin got a lot of questions about Drew. And naturally, when you're talking about a guy who was Mr. Ohio football in high school and, and had a late run from the Buckeyes, and there's so much that you can go through with the history there with Quinn Ewers and how he's involved and why this guy doesn't end up in a Buckeyes uniform. End of the story is he's coming to town, 15 touchdowns, no interceptions. He, he, he's leading an unbeaten team in his own right, and he's coming not necessarily in his backyard a couple hours from home, but a lot of attention on number 15 right now. And it feels like the scrutiny is going to be there, whether he steps up to the moment and delivers a win on the road or whether it's a clunker kind of performance, he is going to be judged nationally more so on those 60 minutes of football that occur in Ohio stadium on Saturday. than I think everything we've seen accrued to this point. Yeah. I mean, I think that when you look at Penn state, you know, Drew Aller is firmly in the spotlight in this type of game. I mean, this is the type of quarterback that's supposed to win you these types of games. Five-star, number one in our rankings in the class of 2022, has a year of seasoning uh, under his belt, you know, getting to sit and watch Sean Clifford. And that's, oh, before you factor in, he's from Ohio, was right. the, the best player in that state. Um, you know, Ohio State didn't get involved until the end uh, once, you know, some other machinations happened, like you mentioned with Quinn Ewers. So, now there's there's a lot of subplots there, but you know if you talk to James Franklin and you talk to Drew Aller, uh, the subplots aren't aren't really getting a lot of oxygen uh, from them. You know I think that 
you know, both of them seemed very dialed in, you know, pretty locked in um, on what's ahead. You know, we, when we talked to Drew Aller today, um, you know, he was asked about his his ticket requests, and he said that that's on mom and dad that he is, you know, locked in on, uh, you know, locked in on Ohio State. What he has to do is the Penn State quarterback, all that other stuff. You know, they'll get to that. Um, you know, even though he he did acknowledge that his his group chat with uh, his friends from Medina High School uh, in Ohio has has been going off a little bit this week, but um, yeah, I mean, he is. You know, you're watching uh, games on Fox over the weekend, uh, NFL games, and you're seeing the the ad for for Big Noon Saturday, and it's Drew Aller there um, as the image representing Penn State. So, you know, a lot going on here. He's he's really going to be in the spotlight now, and he has the opportunity to introduce himself to a, a real national audience. Mark Brennan pointed out to us that that he had also entered the, the fringe of that top 10 in terms of betting odds for the Heisman Trophy. And, and obviously there's other players with a lot more gaudy stats right now. But the longer this team stays on beaten and if he can perform, he's going to end up getting those uh, kind of individual attention moments. But I think he was locked in with the same odds as Kyle McCord on the other side of the football. And you're talking about two first year starters. We learned a little bit more about McCord in our conversation with Patrick Murphy on Monday, who broke things down from a Buckeyes angle. Uh, but two guys that I think, again, I know McCord has played uh, against Notre Dame and that was a big spotlight kind of matchup, but here uh, against Penn state, uh, both of these guys have a lot to gain or lose for their teams and how they perform. Only one interception between them. McCord has the one turnover. Uh, Aller has avoided one to this point. Daquan Hardy's the new wrinkle that we're all talking about now that it's midseason and, and one that we wouldn't certainly wouldn't expect. We know his value on defense. A couple of interceptions on the season since returning to action, both on the road in Big Ten matchups. He had a couple pass breakups uh, against UMass, but what he did in special teams is causing us to recalibrate things a little bit with Penn State and their ability to put points on the board. Two touchdown returns for the first time in program history. No one's had more than two in an entire season, and we want to know what's next for Daquan Hardy. James Franklin admitted, uh, you know, he's asked himself a few times since Saturday, you know, why hasn't he seen, why hasn't it happened yet? I think that was a lot of question. I know Mark Brennan hammered that point home a bit on the podcast yesterday. What did you make of what James had to say about Daquan Hardy and his sudden emergence as this playmaker weapon on special teams? Yeah, we, we got a bit of an unprompted assist from Franklin uh, today since that was tucked into a very, very long uh, and, and wide-ranging answer that that touched on, uh, you know, a couple different guys uh, who, you know, are either here or aren't with the program anymore. But, you know, I, I did think that James Franklin made a point in terms of, you know, in practice – you're not doing a ton of live punt return reps um, at full speed because, you know, it is, you know, a dangerous play. You know, that's what makes it so exciting. Um, and when you have it in that type of controlled environment, you know, you want to control it as much as you can. Um, and so I think that that's why there's such a focus on actually catching the ball um, and who can do that the best because that's what you're seeing the most. Um, you know, but, you know, as James Franklin said, you know, Caden Saunders and Daquan Hardy, uh, I think he said the catch percentage had been pretty similar throughout camp and into the season. Um, and that, you know, they were looking to get more explosive and, you know, everyone knows the, the speed that Daquan Hardy has, you know, he's made sure that people, that everyone knows what speed that he has. Um, and I, I think four, that, three, two, it's four, three, two, everyone, four, three, two. He, he believes he's the fastest on the team. Um, and, and so, you know, when you, you know, and James Franklin said that they wanted to get more explosive. And obviously when we talk about getting more explosive, 
a lot of that has been about the offense, but James Franklin made sure to mention that, you know, that's, that's special teams as well. Cause that's, you're getting the ball in a playmaker's hands, you know, in space, you know, let's see who can make something happen. So, you know, I think Daquan Hardy was really able to take advantage of that. Um, it sounds like we're still going to see Caden Saunders back there, but um, you know, it does seem like that, you know, this has you know opened things up a little bit, you know, for Penn state, um, not only Daquan Hardy, but for Caden Saunders as well. And we did hear from Saunders today. Interesting time to hear from him. He's he is a, a Columbus native. Went to Southwesterville High School right outside of Columbus, and um, you know he was fired up to talk about Daquan Hardy. Those two have competed for this job. Um, he also referred. He, he called it infectious. And watching Daquan Hardy, what he did on Saturday, and we saw along the way, kind of lost along the way, I guess you could say. Caden Saunders had his best return of the season, thirty-seven yards. And part of the question is, I mean. What the heck did UMass's special teams coordinator do all week? And, and how many hats is he wearing for that program? And how much is this going to correlate to what we see for the next six weeks? But you do wonder now, uh, when you have the defense that this team has, and, and you can certify it as elite after six games, you know, big test here. We'll see if they keep it up. But they have been nothing short of an elite defense. We knew what a punter could do for that defense in the past with Jordan Stout. We're still waiting to learn more about this punter. But how can a punt returner, give a boost to the offense. That's the part where we haven't really seen for this Penn State uh, equation, I think, under James Franklin for a lot of these years. Last year, 105 total punt return yards on 24 returns. Uh, this year, they're already at 217 punt return yards on eight fewer returns, 16 total returns. So that one that tells me they've been a lot more aggressive, and, and that was probably something they harped on during the offseason in preseason camp. I think we've seen that from Caden Saunders. Aggressive in getting the football may not be a 15-yard gain, but he's been aggressive in fielding the ball. And then Daquan Hardy, I mean, there was nothing but aggressiveness in what he did against UMass. So this is something where I'm wondering, where the explosive plays maybe aren't coming for the offense, but are you going to be able to set your offense, give them some assists? You can't count on this every single possession to get started off of. But if you can do this once or maybe even twice a game and those hidden yards start to rack up, this is just an area of Penn State 2023 that none of us kind of had on our bingo card. Yeah, I, I think that we've seen the the punters that Penn State has had come through, you know, really lengthen the field for the defense uh, or for opposing offenses. Um, and now you're seeing Penn State with a couple of returners that might be able to shorten the field a little bit you know, to make things a little bit more manageable for the offense, you know, get it so that, you know, they're only a couple plays away from at least field goal range um, instead of, you know, having to go on some of these longer, more sustained drives. Um, you know, I'm one of the people that, you know, I kind of think that, you know, it's almost like you can't score too quickly because if you score quickly, you're probably going to get another chance to score again soon. Um, and, and that's the name of the game. So, you know, I think that having Daquan Hardy and Caden Saunders, with that aggressive mindset back there. Um, and I mean, I think Daquan Hardy, I mean, we've watched how he plays defense over these past four years and he is aggressive, you know, to a T. I mean, you watch him come off the edge, you watch him, you know, attack the ball in the air. You know, so I think that he's one of those, you know, kind of all gas, no breaks guys back there at, at punt returner. Um, but having Saunders and Hardy be able to flip the field a little bit more, um, you know, allow Penn State to be, you know, aggressive on that end um, of the field position equation. Um, I think that's really good. I mean, you know, against UMass, it felt like that the field was always short. 
um, and they were and Penn State was really able to take advantage. Um, even though I think you know in that kind of game, I don't really think it would have mattered where they were starting. Um, but you know against a team like Ohio State, um, even a Big Ten team like Indiana or Maryland or Rutgers, um, that can come in handy. Uh, one other thing I wanted to get up with Caden Saunders, he is going home, and, and this was a process where Ohio State has signed a bunch of big-time receivers over the, the recent years. He was not targeted as a receiver, despite you know being someone who generated a bunch of Power Five interest in their backyard. They did recruit him as a cornerback, something he reflected on a bit today. Uh, but chose to stick. He wanted to be a receiver. He initially thought he was going to be a baseball player at the college level. So it's not like he grew up uh, thinking, I got to be here. I got I want to play for the hometown football team. When football became more of an option by then he was pretty open to them and Penn state picks him up. We're still waiting for him to develop as that wide receiver. It's been Liam Clifford in this slot position. Uh, it's been two tight ends in the field for a lot of the season offensively, but what we have seen Caden Saunders game in game out is getting those chances on the punt return. We'll see if that happens uh, back home. Uh, we'll also, but, but it's, how do you keep Daquan Hardy off the field after what he did? I mean, that's the big question. I mean, they pulled him to the sideline and let Caden Saunders uh, return some punts there on Saturday, but it is going to be an interesting balance and we'll see how the Buckeyes uh, also, you know, how are they going to handle the prospect of punting the ball to this sudden weapon that Penn State bringing to the football field. Uh, Keaton Ellis was another player that we had a chance to speak with earlier here today on a Tuesday. He's a, a, a special, not special teams captain. He's a defensive captain. He's also a, a fifth-year senior. He is not a starter this year, uh, but someone who is very much held in a high high account uh, within this locker room. And, and hearing from him, uh, someone who's you know, suffered four defeats against Ohio State, someone who was in Beaver Stadium as a high school sophomore and got to watch Penn state uh send the building into eruption with their 2016 upset win he knows well what this series entails and he called it his last go round uh and and just a little bit more sentimental than some of the other conversations we've had where, where guys are maybe a little bit more fresher to this series and it just reminded me man that some of these some of the guys in this locker room and he talked about wanting to win this one not just for for these guys but guys that he's played with over the last five years there's some scars in, in, you know, for, for these Penn State players, guys that are still on this team, guys that have moved on to the NFL because a lot of them were recruited to campus. And and as you know, you're the ones who are going to break down that barrier, get past Ohio State. And for one reason or another, it hasn't happened all that much. And it just reminded me that for some of the older members of this roster, like a Keaton Ellis, like a Daquan Hardy, there should definitely be a chip on that shoulder. I don't think it's anything that you need to, to foster over the course of the week. I think it's just there naturally. Yeah, I mean, 2016 at this point was a long, long time ago, um, you know, especially once you get into college football years uh, with the amount of turnover there is. Uh, and even then, you know, 2018, you know, that that game is you know a long time ago. Even the 2019 game um, is a long time ago. And so, you know, you look at what you know these players starting with guys that were, you know, in the class of 2020, um, especially, you know, what they uh, have seen over these past couple of years. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of tough losses, uh, in some, in some big spots. I mean, you know, 2020 season was, was a weird one. Um, but that was when you thought that Penn state, um, you know, was still a, a national going to be a national contender that year, you know, 2021 was when things were going, you know, kind of downhill. Um, and then even last year, um, you know, it's, they haven't lost since then. That was their last loss. Um, and that, you know, I think, you know, not mathematically, but more or less eliminated them, I know, from Big Ten contention and, and from college football playoff contention. And so, you know, I think that Keaton Ellis is someone who, you know, especially being from State College, 
knowing this university and this program so well, uh, you know, he knows what he knows what this game means. Um, you know, he was on the field a lot in that game last year. Um, and I think and when we were out in Indianapolis for Big Ten media days, he got a lot of questions from Ohio State media um, about that game, about Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, it's you don't need a lot more to get up for this game when you look at number seven versus number three in a big time um you know, Big Ten and national, you know, game with national implications, you know, but for someone like Keaton Ellis, for for these guys that have been through it, you know, there there is a lot of meaning behind it. And and, and it goes for, I mean, you mentioned 2020, but Keaton Ellis is out in Columbus in 2019 uh, when the wheels come off and Sean Clifford's not healthy and they got to put out Will Levis and they put up a good fight, but they can't get it done. That was a top 10 showdown. That was number eight Penn State versus number two Ohio State. So again, it, Round number five for that class from the 2019 crew. There's not a lot of them left, but uh, the Caden Wallace's and Salim Wormley's, th there's a number of them out there. So just something to keep in mind. These guys have probably seen enough of Ohio State walking away from their matchup, smiling and having fun. And what a thing it would mean for them and for James Franklin, Daniel, to walk off the field at Ohio Stadium with a win and come back here unbeaten with what lies ahead for them. If they're going to accomplish an unbeaten season, if they're going to uh, accomplish a ton, they're going to need that offensive line to keep stepping up in, in big moments, and they're going to require some depth here. How long will they be without J.B. Nelson? That remains undetermined, but we do know, according to James Franklin here on a Tuesday, that they anticipate getting J.B. Nelson back, back for the Ohio State matchup, back for November, back for Thanksgiving week. We don't know, but uh, we'll get a better look at this team Wednesday on the practice field. But as long as James Franklin keeps telling us that they're getting J.B. Nelson back and, and vice and instead of saying, no, it's a season-ending injury, which is the only other kind of clarity we'll get, that's an improvement. And I think we're getting the sense you had a conversation with Vega Ioane after the game on Saturday that gave you a little bit of optimism. Again, it's hard to, do, to dive so much into these injury things during the season because it is a very tight-lipped tight issue. But uh, I think we're sensing – uh, positive momentum with J.B. Nelson, which would be a boost for this offensive line. Yeah, I mean, staying tight-lipped on these things is it's completely understandable, you know, from James Franklin's perspective. Not even just from the the competitive advantage standpoint, but just from what we just saw with Trey Wallace, where James Franklin said that he was ready to come back, then got stepped on, and then you know that set him back. And so, you know, if if James Franklin were to say, yeah, he'll be back in three weeks, and then someone doesn't come back in three weeks, then we're like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? So um, now we just do that every week um, instead. But, you know, I, you know, we heard what we heard, what we have heard from James Franklin is pretty consistent. Um, you know, that JB Nelson is you know not out for the season. Um, you know, if we don't see him tomorrow night when we're out at practice, probably means he's not going to be playing at Ohio state. Um, but post game, I, I caught up with Venga Ioane and, I was just kind of asking him about you know, the the offensive line in general. Um, you know, Venga got a lot of reps uh, across Saturday um, with JB Nelson out. Um, you know, at left guard, um, and you know, I asked him a question about rotating, and uh, you know, because Nick Dawkins joined that that guard rotation, and you know, Yoane said that you know they really like it; it keeps them fresh. And and then he said, you know, when JB Nelson comes back, which JB Nelson will be back soon. Um, you know, then they'll continue to rotate. Um, and, you know, I, that was something that I didn't really pick up on until Monday when I was going back through some, some audio and I was kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, and 
So I think that the fact that there's confidence within the team that JV Nelson will be back, you know, obviously it's similar to like what James Franklin said today, where James Franklin just says back. I don't know what Venga Ioana's definition of soon is. I don't know what this Penn State program's def- definition of soon is either. Um, but I think that, you know, when you talk about long-term concerns for this offensive line and, you know, being without you know, a key starter um, for, you know, an entire season, um, you know, I think that this is, you know, kind of like as much positive news um, as you can take on the injury front without getting an explicit, he will be back Saturday. Last year against Ohio State, Penn State's already down Landon Tangwall. He, he's, he was lost for the season before that Michigan matchup. Uh, you've got a banged up Hunter Norzad, which was kind of his status for most of last season. You were without Caden Wallace. He suffered an injury one week prior against Minnesota. He would not play again until the Rose Bowl. And within a few within a, a few possessions of that matchup, you're without Olu Fashionu. We wouldn't see him again for the rest of the matchup. So we did hear from Olu today, and, and and you know he is such a pro at this point in, in dealing with us in the media. It's it's really impressive how how and he's always been very mature going back to and he's a high school kid, but now it, it's just I think he's done enough of these conversations that that you know we're not going to really surprise him with a lot of questions. And when people try to draw his attention back to that matchup last year and what happened when he was sidelined and what the defensive ends were able to do and the pressure that was applied. Um, Olu just doesn't sound that interested in, in, in checking the rearview mirror right now, Daniel. Yeah, I, and I was out there in Indianapolis, similar to Keaton Ellis getting all these Marvin Harrison Jr. questions. You know, Olu was getting all these JT Tui Malawa, uh, and that's a, that's gonna be a tough one. I'm gonna have to practice. That hey, you, one you, did, you did, you <laughs> did. I know James Franklin was nervous about it himself, and I know that that name has probably been uh, imprinted on his brain for eternity. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, out in Indy, uh, you know, Olu was getting all these questions about JT and, you know, what it was like to go up against him, you know, what it was like to go up against a game wrecker. Um, you know, I think the thing that Olu didn't say uh, explicitly, but was kind of implicit in some of his answers was that, you know, well, he didn't really do that against me. <laughs> you know, uh, Olu was was busy shutting down Zach Harrison. Um, you know, a lot of the the damage that JT did was uh, on the right side with, with Bryce Hefner. But so I think that when, when people ask Olu about that, that matchup last year, I think that he's, there's a little bit of like, you know, like we lost and, you know, it wasn't the offensive line's best game, but, you know, I think Olu definitely held up his end of the bargain, Um, but that'll be a big matchup to watch. I mean, you know, Olu said that he has a lot of respect for, for JT as a pass rusher. Um, You know, he, you know, he gave a good kind of breakdown of his skill set um, and and what he's able to do. But, you know, I think that Olu just seems very confident, very in control, um, you know, on the field and in these media sessions. You know, he likes to talk about the young players and, you know, how much better they are than he was at, at this point in his career and, and all of that stuff. But, you know, I think that this is going to be, you know, a matchup when you talk about, you know, guys with a lot of attention on them. You know, obviously, Drew Aller is one of them, but you know, I think Olu is someone that is going to have a ton of eyes on him. And this is kind of a, a full circle thing. I mean, that Ohio State game last year was when you know that buzz that had been bubbling under a little bit really kind of came out. You know, after that game, it was, oh, you know, this guy could be a, a top ten pick. This guy could be a first round pick. That's when the conversation about Olu, you know, potentially leaving early. I think that's when it really kicked into gear. Um, you know, now Olu is going to have the chance to really cement himself, um, you know, as that type of prospect, as 
know, the top guy uh, in this upcoming draft class, um, you know, against Ohio State this weekend. Um, there's a lot of respect between these teams. You, you talked about yeah. Olu expressing it for, for, for his opponents. Drew Aller couldn't express enough respect for, for Ohio State's <laughs> defense. In fact, he referenced Ohio State's offense as well and, and how much they respect this team. So, look, you, you know that both of these programs in their respective campuses understand the challenge that awaits on Saturday. And James Franklin, in reviewing this matchup a little bit, looking ahead to the Buckeyes, had some, you know, some very nice things to say. He, in fact, said he had a, a coach crush on Ohio State linebacker. Tommy Eichenberg, who he referred to as the quarterback of the defense, uh, someone that, that that entire defense has worked through, and they have thus far in the season at, at midway point looked like an improved defense for the Buckeyes. That's been a really important part of the process for Ryan Day here of late as they try to get back to the mountaintop in the Big Ten. Also, as you'd expect, a lot to say about Marvin Harrison, um, saying that he's just fun to watch physically. He contort his body up in the up in air, midair. Uh, compared him a little bit to, to Jahan Dotson in some ways, uh, but then tacked on the fact that he's 6'3", six, 6'4", six which takes it to a whole different <laughs> level. Thus far, Harrison's over 600 receiving yards. That leads the Big Ten by far. He's averaging about 20 yards per catch with five touchdowns on the season. We'll talk about his trigger man in a second, Kyle McCord, but from Keaton Ellis to James Franklin, I don't think Drew Aller paid respect uh, to Marvin Harrison today, but he is the name seemingly at the top of the list. And, and when you're talking about Ohio State, you know that's going to be one hell of a talent when the guy's at the top. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that when you talk about marquee matchups on this weekend, you know, you can talk about Olu and the Ohio State pass rushers, but you know, I think it's going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. against Kalen King, you know, against the secondary. Um, you know, I think you just look at Marvin Harrison Jr. and it's like the only way I can really describe it is just, it's just like, he's so good. Um, you know, when you watch him do things, you know, I thought that the comparison that James Franklin made to Jahan Dotson was really interesting. And, you know, and I, I think it holds up really well um, because, you know, I think part of it is because of his father, who was not that big. Um, but when you think about Marvin Harrison Jr., you don't necessarily think of him, you know, being in that kind of physical mold. Um, you know, I, I watched him play basketball in high school uh, when he was a freshman at LaSalle before he transferred to St. Joe's Prep. Um, and, and you could kind of see, you know, the length there, um, you know, as someone who was, who was developing. But, you know, for him to be this physically developed, it's, you know, a real mismatch um, for pretty much everyone in college football. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, James Franklin, when he gave his praise, prefaced it by talking about his own experience as a wide receivers coach, um, which we know he did at a couple places in, in the in the NFL for a season. So you know, he's been around wide receivers. Um, you know, he knows what he's seeing in Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see uh, on Saturday. Yeah, the, the comparison that he really drew to with Jahan was the the smoothness and the fluidity. And when you're talking about doing that with the physical package that he presents at the wide receiver position at the perimeter, uh, maybe able to move inside occasionally, there's just a lot that, to deal with there. And Kalen King, Olu Fashionu, if they're going to cross that bridge from preseason All-Americans to All-Americans come early December, this is going to be a game that is going to be really uh, looked upon uh, for both of them in a national spotlight situation. Of course, it's not going to be a one-man show at cornerback. you got Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy, Cam Miller all playing at a high level at that spot. And Ohio State's not only sending one talented wide receiver your way, 
they have a high level stable of them. And one guy that, that frankly couldn't say enough about it felt like he kept circling back was Kate Stover as well, the tight end who's second on Ohio State in reception. So they've got a threat at that position as well. Uh, with James's press conference, uh, we, something that came to mind here, and we had to double check that it matched up when it matched up, but 2018 back at St. Joe's Prep. You got Kyle McCord as a sophomore, now Penn's, now Ohio State starting quarterback, uh, leading them to a state championship. He really put himself, you know, out on the map as a Power Five prospect. Offers were coming hot and heavy, and at that point, uh, Penn State, one of their current coaches, was St. Joe's. Uh, uh, head coach at that point. I know I'm, I'm talking my way through this, but uh, Kyle McCord was playing for Gabe Infante, um, and, and now Gabe Infante is a defensive analyst for the Nittany Lions. And, Daniel, that's just an interesting wrinkle to me. I know it's been a long time, five years ago, but uh, you know, when you watch a young man step up at a program like St. Joe's Prep, which is routinely ranked among the top 10 or 20 in the country, I'd imagine you learn something about him, positive, negative, uh, that you can carry with you. It's just something that stuck with me a little bit extra from this press conference. It was about 50 minutes of content. That was maybe a 30-second line, if that, on Infante and McCord, but something to file away. No, it was it was really funny. Uh, James Franklin said that, and I pulled up Gabe Infante's Temple bio because I was like, like so in my I. in my head, I was <laughs> like, you know, McCord seems really young. It seems like Gabe Infante left a long time before. Um, and so I was trying to match up the years. And then a little bit later, I looked over your shoulder and saw that you were on the exact same bio. Uh, so we were, we were on the same wavelength as that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, you know, kind of surprised that it had been, you know, that long, um, I guess. But yeah, I mean, man, college football, it's all about what any, any sort of edge that you can get, any sort of insight, any sort of extra knowledge. Um, you know, it's been a long time since Gabe Infante coached Kyle McCord, you know, that 2018 was a, you know, a long, long time ago. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is some insight there. Anything can help. You can compare it to what you're seeing now on film. Um, you know, it, it, it all kind of goes together. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, those St. Joe's prep teams were just so loaded, um, you know, so good. And, you know, Kyle McCord just really helped keep you know, that program at a high level, you know, it's still at a high level. Um, and you know, they just continue to, to put guys uh, into the next level um, year after year. I just can't think of another occurrence, at least here at Penn State, of course, but of, of a current member of your coaching staff being a former head coach at the high school level of, an, of a, a premier opposing player, much less the quarterback of the opponent. So uh, just something to note there here coming out of the press conference. Anything else that, that you thought worth mentioning here before we close up shop on this edition of the podcast? No, I mean, I would just say that I'd recommend you know going to our VIP updates thread um, to look at some of the, I went through and cleaned up some of the longer James Franklin quotes we got. Um, he had a lot of interesting things to say about Drew Aller's recruitment, about Drew Aller's transformation. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, you know, I asked him about uh, Aller's poise and got a really, really uh, wide ranging answer that you know, I think a lot of people will you know, appreciate or, or at least find interesting. Um, and you know, on top of that, we've got a lot of quotes from Drew Aller. Uh, I'm going to drop in some Olu Fashionu quotes uh, when we get out of here. And, uh, you know, we're just going to be shoveling the content on Lions 24-7 all week. I mean, you know, this is this is one of those weeks. So, you know, Penn State, I think, wants to raise its game. And, you know, we're going to we're going to match that. 
That's right. And, and, and it's going to be a busy couple of days ahead for us as we get ready for kickoff before we send Daniel and Mark out to Columbus. We've got James Franklin back on the practice field on Wednesday following our weekly look at practice. We'll be keeping tabs for number 56 on the offensive line and J.B. Nelson, whether or not he is out there. And then Curtis Jacobs, Theo Johnson, Kalen King, Chop Robinson, all available after practice with us in the media. So those updates will be coming in hot and heavy over at lines247.com. Daniel, thanks as always for the perspective on Penn State football. And folks can find your coverage at lines247.com every step of the way. Anytime, Tyler. All right, great stuff from both of my teammates at lines247.com and Daniel Gallon and Tyler Calvaruso. Of course, Mark Brennan doing a lot of work. He's got the full press conference from James Franklin on a Tuesday up at lines247.com. It's a free watch. Head over there. If you want to dive into our VIP content, you can do so right now. 30% off an annual VIP subscription or $1 for a one-month test drive. We're back with you on this podcast Thursday with our final thoughts, previews, predictions for Penn State versus Ohio State. I think we'll have a lot to say, a lot to think about coming off the Penn State practice field Wednesday night and after some of those conversations with those inside team facilities. So stay tuned with us. And if you missed it again Monday, we broke down the Buckeyes with Patrick Murphy from our Ohio State site within the 24-7 Sports Network. So a lot of detail about what the Buckeyes are bringing to the field on our Monday episode. For now, stepping aside, wishing everyone a great day ahead. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.